0: Turn in your Bibles to Matthew. Now we're going to get serious about the topic of discipleship, the Sermon on the Mount, what we've titled, Life in the Kingdom. There is one, before I read uh, this passage, I just want to read this one quote from Tim Keller. And he talks about how the basic teaching of Christianity as regards to salvation is that although the entrance fee to the Christian life is nothing at all. The annual subscription rate is absolutely everything you have. I read that because the Sermon on the Mount is written to those who are already in the kingdom. It's life on the kingdom. So, in other words, the offer of salvation, the offer of the gospel, free gift, and you enter into. But then, life in the kingdom, sometimes I get, to, I think we can confuse the fact and think to ourselves, well, if salvation is by grace and it's free, and sanctification is by grace. Grace is a transformative power. If you listened carefully to the passage of scripture Vic read out of Romans chapter 6, one of the things it said in there is sin will have no dominion over you. In other words, sin is no longer your ruler. And it gave the reason why. Sin is not your ruler since, in other words, or because for this reason. You are not under law, but under grace. In other words, grace rescues you and transforms you, and therefore, when you're in the kingdom, it requires everything of you. It is demanding, not as a matter of merit. It's not your entrance fee, but I like how Dr. Keller puts it, the annual subscription rate is absolutely everything you have, and I think we've got to consider that, especially as we look at the passage that we're looking at this morning, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. And if the theme of verses 1 through 18 was do not be like the hypocrites, the theme of verses 19 to 34 is do not be anxious. Now, we discovered last week, facetious again, okay, I want you to pick up on this. Let me give you the warning ahead of time. None of us struggle with hypocrisy, right? So guess what? There are no anxious people sitting in this room. Nobody struggles. What an irrelevant, impractical topic to speak about. Worry? Anxiety? We're all cool as cucumbers. None of us struggle with that, right? At least four of you are smiling and getting, the. you know. Maybe the rest of you are anxious about hearing this sermon. I'm not not sure. But one of the things we're going to discover is that The cause of both is similar and the cure is the same. The cause for both of them is an undue focus on yourself. For hypocrisy, you're focused about how you look before others, and for the anxious, you're concerned about your circumstances, how things will turn out, what the results will be. The cure for both is what is your treasure, who's your master, what is the focus of your vision. In other words, what kingdom are you seeking? Let's turn, and the words are going to be on the wall. Don't look in your bulletin. We had a little copy-paste issue, so the words, it's to a different passage of scripture in the bulletin. But I'm going to read, and you can also look up on the wall. So we can go old school, new school, depending on your preferences here. But Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, Now, it's interesting. I mentioned earlier in our prayer of petition, we were praying for our young people and our kids as they go back to school, and I challenged all of us as disciples to be lifelong learners. It's an interesting thing about learning. Learning is so much more than just what you think. Learning involves how you think. I don't care how old we are and what we are. We can always, you know, what we think is one thing. If it's all about just what we think, then just present the right thoughts, the right thing, memorize those very things and take them in. But learning how to think means you take the information, so in other words, the right doctrine is crucial, it's essential, because you're never going to get to point two of how you think if you don't have that first point. But having that first point is not enough. So you take the right information and you need to learn how to process it, how to develop the implications, how to develop the conclusions. This is exactly what Jesus is teaching us here, when he tells us things like, don't be anxious, notice how many times he says, consider. When I had Vic read out of Romans chapter 6, or when you think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed how by the renewal, meaning the over and over again, How you think, how you think theologically in your mind, how you draw... The processes, the conclusions, the logic, the implications for it. So, for example, Jesus is saying, I want you to take a look at the world around you. I want you to look at creation. I want you to look at the birds of the air. I want you to look at the sparrows. I want you to look at the lilies of the field. I want you to look at their colors. I want you to look at God's creativeness. I want want you to look at God's care. I want you to look at how God nurtures it, how God sustains it. And then what's the very next thing? He says, consider Consider, and consider a couple things. It doesn't even go immediately to the command, does he? He says, consider what? Consider, aren't you of more value than all of they? So the first thing to think about is think about your worth to God. You are worth enough to God for God to send Jesus to die for you. Consider your value, your importance, the care. If God has that kind of care for the created world, how much more does he have for you? Jesus is saying, as a disciple, it's not just what you think, but how you think. And specifically, how you think about the kingdom of God. Because he's going to say, and I'm going to get to it, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So let's review. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not a territory. It's not a place. It's God's universal rule or reign. And it implies the presence of a king. So in other words, whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom, seek ye first the kingdom of God, he's talking about himself. So we can say that wherever Jesus reigns, the kingdom is present. So when God sent Jesus as Messiah to come to the earth with the coming of Jesus, where Jesus is present, the kingdom is present. And a kingdom also implies a norm, a rule, a rule, a law of the land, and also the power to enforce that. So in other words, Jesus the king gives us his commands. He reigns in our lives, and we are called to commit, to continually submit to his kingly rule. That's why, and I'll read the quote again, although the entrance fee to the Christian life, to the kingdom of God, is absolutely nothing, the subscription rate is everything you have. It's like marriage vows. You take when you get married, you don't keep them perfectly. There's not a day that goes by that we keep them perfectly, but you still make the vow. We need to recognize that the gospel is always the proclamation of the kingdom of God. That the gospel is an announcement. The gospel means, the very word means good news. And news implies something that's announced. That's why there's a difference between proclamation and teaching. There's the proclamation of the truth, and then there's teaching all the implications of that truth. And the proclamation demands a response. It's like whenever the gospel, the good news, it's a great announcement. The reign of God has come. And it's like a marriage proposal. It is like Jesus is saying to you, will you marry me? And the answer is yes or no. If you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, that's a nice proposal. Hmm. Let me ponder that. Can I get back to you in a week or so? Let me think about it. Maybe you're even pious and spiritual. Jesus, may I pray about it? There is no neutrality to the kingdom of God. No one can serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. The gospel always demands a response and the response is, what will you do with this news? We want to look at this and look at the topics we're looking at of anxiety and look at it from two perspectives this morning. If Jesus is the great physician, he's the great physician of the soul. And as such, he's saying, come to Dr. Jesus and I will give you a diagnosis and a prescription in these two things for curing anxiety states he gives us first a diagnosis and then a prescription and the diagnosis and you're going to think I've cheated you a 2 part sermon I'm going to turn it into five real quickly because the diagnosis has three parts and I know you're going not fair the first part is have your the first part of the diagnosis is to ask yourself do i have treasure in the wrong place, having your treasure in the wrong place. Now, think about this: What is treasure? Treasure are the things we prize most dearly. They are truly what's most important to us. And part of the challenge of this sermon, and part of the challenge of really the scriptures, in turn, see, think about it: We're transformed by the renewal of our mind. Every problem. Every issue, every situation requires learning how to functionally, not just make the confession of our life, but how to functionally, day by day, think theologically. And so every day, you've got to think, is my treasure in the right or wrong place? See, there are only two places for your treasure to be, heaven or earth. And Jesus says very plainly, earthbound treasure will fail and it will fail from one or two sor- sources either deterioration that's the meaning of moth and rust destroy or unforeseen circumstances thieves break in and steal you weren't expecting to lose your job you weren't expecting financial ruin you weren't expecting the doctor's report unforeseen if your treasure is on earth, if your treasure is anything, when the thief comes in and breaks in and steal, that will rock your world. That will dev- You can't go on. And if you put your treasure in that, which the moth will come in, and I know, I know we don't do I don't think we do this in Florida. When I lived up in New York and Philadelphia, you always had spring clothes and winter clothes, summer clothes and winter clothes. And it was always interesting to watch my mom clean the closets and put the winter clothes away or wherever, and she put these mothballs. And I, I was like, are you trying to keep real moths? What are you doing? She said, yes, I'm protecting the clothes. I still have no idea what that is, but apparently moths get in and destroy things. Now, we don't do that in Florida. I wear polo shirts all the time in Florida, so no mothballs. But your treasure will either be on earth or in heaven. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, if you don't live for Jesus, you will live for something else. There is no neutrality. Will those things you're living for be enough? Will they satisfy your heart? Will they die for you? Do they give their life for you? Will they forgive you when you fail them? And will they satisfy you? You have to ask yourself the question, where is your treasure? And that is transformed by the renewal, not one time, renewal of your mind. That's a daily question. Where is my treasure today? Where is my treasure this moment? Where is my treasure now? Second, the eye is the lamp of the body. What does that mean? It means we have to think about life in the right way. We can think about life in the right or the wrong way. The eye is the lamp of the body means when we see clearly. That means when we're seeing God as he really is, not according to our own image, but when we see clearly, the world is full of light, color, beauty. But if your eyes are diseased, the world is dim, confusing, and even dark as night. Now, what does Jesus mean when he talks about the eye of, You know, the eye is the lamp of the body, the eye of the spirit. He's talking about the heart. See, in the language of scripture, fixing the eye and fixing the heart amount to the same thing. He is talking about focusing your attention, your vision, your mind, your will, your volition, your emotions, every aspect of you, focusing all your energies on something. Which means as a challenge, you have to identify where is my vision distorted? Where do I have, even as I come and pray, even as I come to worship, even as I, are you asking yourself every day, where do I have misguided? Where do I have distorted beliefs? Where do I see God as more holy than loving, more loving than holy, more just than good, more good? Where am I out of balance? Out of what? Are you asking that question on a daily basis? Or have you assumed you've arrived? You've got it. I'm perfectly in balance. I'm doing well. The eye is the lamp of the body. You need a healed perspective daily. Treasure, vision, and lastly, the last part of the diagnosis is serving a wrong master. Believe it or not, freedom, as is defined in the world, freedom meaning doing what you want when you want, freedom to truly choose for yourself, freedom to be in charge of your own life and happiness. It's a myth. It is an illusion. It does not exist. Every single one of us serves a master. The question is, which master do you serve? There is one that leads to true freedom. And by freedom, I mean the liberation to be what you were created to be. An image bearer reflecting the glory, the light, the holiness, the justice, the goodness, the love, the beauty of God, the freedom to be liberated, to be a true human being or a true enslavement, a true slave. When you are your own God, you are a true slave. You're in bondage. And again, if you notice in the passage of Scripture that Vic read, it says, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey." You're slaves of what you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Notice that neutrality is not an option. Notice that standing still is not an option. We are daily, we are moment by moment, always presenting ourselves to something. And whatever we present ourselves to something is our covenant Lord. We were made, we were created as dependent creatures. We were, not cre- we were created to be free, but not free, meaning autonomous. We are, we were created to be dependent and derivative from God. And so we're always presenting ourselves. You're, e- you're either worshiping God and you're truly free, or you're, when you turn from worshiping and living for God, you're living for something else. No one can serve two masters. So the diagnosis diagnosis is simple. Three questions. Where is your treasure? Moment by moment, what is most important to you? On what is your vision focused? And who is your master? Those are daily questions, not every six-month checkups. And then what's the cure? What's the prescription? Look with me at verse 33 when he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, food, shelter, clothing, sustenance, necessities of life, relationships, what we really need will be added to you. How do we know that? Again, how does God, how does Jesus present God? He presents him as your heavenly father. And he talks, that's why he says anxiety is not an emotional or psychological issue. It's a theological issue. Because what does he say? Oh, you of little faith. You need a healed perspective and you need to, if your treasure is Jesus, your vision is focused on Jesus and Jesus is master, then what are you seeking after? To seek Jesus is to seek his kingdom. What does that look like in our lives? Let me try to be as practical as I can, and I think a great commentary on it, and it's one of the beautiful ways scriptures always work together, is Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, and I'll just read a couple of the verses out of it in Colossians 1, 13. <clears throat> He says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption The forgiveness of sins. Now that's verses 13 and 14. And there's the first part. What is the entrance fee for salvation? Absolutely nothing. He has rescued us. What do we do to rescue ourselves? Nothing. He's rescued us. What is salvation? Salvation is not a self-help pep talk. It's not a motivational. Jesus there is not being our life coach. He is being our rescuer, our deliverer. Salvation is about you were drowning in the bottom of the ocean and you didn't need, as one pastor put it, you don't need a manual of how to swim. You need a lifeguard. You need someone come in, put you over his shoulders, and take you out. That's salvation. It's a rescue mission. And what is the rescue mission for? The rescue mission is to take you away from one domain, one dominion the one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. And it's a transfer. So if you have been rescued, <clears throat> you are brought into the kingdom of the Messiah. You are a citizen of that kingdom. And the entrance, the entrance fee is nothing. You have redemption. That means as you, you make the vow and you fail it, to keep it, what do you have? The forgiveness of sins. Past, present and future. When Jesus gives you the marriage proposal. Will you marry me? And you see, say yes. When you fail to keep your vows. Tomorrow. Next week. Next month. You are already forgiven. You've been rescued and transferred into the kingdom of the son he loves. And you have forgiveness. Never to lose it. That gives you real freedom. To live with Jesus as your treasure. Have your vision focused on. To live And here's the next part of the kingdom in your life, what it means to seek the kingdom in your life, to live as a true image-bearer. And how do we do that? Colossians 1, verse 15 says, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. All things were created by him and for him, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now again, theology is not just what to think but how to think. Track with me here. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Why did Jesus have to become Jesus who's perfect, who's sinless, never flawed, never made a mistake, never? Why did he have to become the image of God? He's God. Why did he have to become the image? Of God, So that he could be our substitute, representing us, and fulfilling our job description. Fulfilling our vocation. And what was our job description? As human beings, why did God create the human race? He tells us in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, when he says... Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, male and female, he created them, and let them be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all the earth. God is expressing his intended that, intention that his image bearers, originally Adam and Eve, would represent him managing, being stewards, ruling, taking care of God's world on God's behalf, and in doing so, spread the glory of God throughout all the world by taking care of God's world. Only one problem. How did Adam's first day of school, I'm assuming his first day, maybe a second semester sophomore, I have no idea. But how did Adam do? Did he get an A or an F? He failed. He didn't carry out his vocation as an image bearer. Part of God sending Jesus the Messiah was to not only take the curse, the penalty, but also, see, what does the theological concept of the active righteousness of Jesus Christ mean? It means Jesus accomplished and fulfilled our job description for us. He fulfilled our vocation, He was the perfect image bearer. And now we are, if we're a Christian, we are in Christ bearing the image of God. God is working out His kingdom. He's doing it, that's the inauguration, the already, in the, is it completed? By no means. There's an awful lot of not yet. But Jesus has fulfilled the vocation and now we are Him and God, in him and God is working out his kingdom through his redeemed image bearers in the power of the spirit. That's the power of the spirit, that's the power of the kingdom. And so, friends, what is it you're seeking? To seek first the kingdom of God is to seek first the rule and the reign, the lordship of God in your life, in every dimension. It's to seek the truth of God that is universal over all. It is to seek to embody and to bear out and to live out in the freedom of knowing that as you mess up every day, you're forgiven, which means you have the implication Go for it. You can't lose. God has given you, he's liberated you to be and to grow in the shalom, in the flourishing, in the being, the human being, in every arena of your life that he created you to be. What does this mean in our life? I'm going to close with this. And then I promise I remembered the ushers will come forward. But I just want to leave you with this kind of practical quote. About 40 years ago, Becky Pippert wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker, Into the World. And she wrote this following quote. She writes, what does it mean then to allow Jesus to be Lord of our lives, which is kind of the practical, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. She says just this, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. If Jesus is our Lord, then he is the one who controls. He has the ultimate power. There are no bargains. We cannot manipulate him by playing let's make a deal. If he is Lord, the only option open to us is to do his will, to let him have control. Of course, Jesus remains Lord whether we accept him or not. His lordship in his essence, in his sovereignty, is not affected by what we choose. But our lives are drastically changed by our choice. Our lives are drastically changed. When you present yourself to sin, when you present, and that's your master, what does it lead to in Romans 6? It leads to death. It shrinks your humanity. It dehumanizes you. You become smaller and smaller. When you present yourself, when you offer yourself, here am I, what did Isaiah say in the temple? Very simple. When the grace of God touched his life as a transforming power, his response was, here am I, Lord, send me. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness means simply every day going, your will be done. I'm not playing let's make a deal. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the result is our life becomes larger and larger. We become more and more free, more and more liberated. You present yourself and you become a slave to righteousness. That leads to liberation. It leads to true humanity. It leads to human flourishing friends what is it that controls you what is it day to day that is your Lord let's pray Lord I do pray that every one of us here and that we would be a church that truly seeks first your kingdom and your righteousness teach us Father to say each and every day here at me here are we Servants of yours, here am I, send me. Help me to do your will. Whatever that means, loving my wife, loving my kids, serving my fellow workers, praying for my family members. Whatever that is, help us to do your will, O Lord, and to be your servants, seeking first your rule, your kingship, your lordship, in every arena of our life, in Jesus' name. Amen.